Hello listeners and welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. I'm your host Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode I travelled to Bright Brewery which is in Victoria's high country in a beautiful setting right by the Ovens River. I was speaking to James Davidson who is the marketing manager there at Bright. It's an absolute belted episode again so Let's get into it. Welcome, James Davidson, to the Chosen Brew podcast. We're sat in probably, possibly uh, one of the most idyllic places in Victoria. Uh, still without any, you know, with, you've still got background noise and <laughs> cars going by or something. You know, but it, I like that. You said one of the most idyllic places in Victoria while cars going... <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a digger behind us digging and, and it is a beautiful day considering it was supposed to be storming. I, I messaged you the other day. It's like, uh, we might have to work out what we're going to do because apparently it's going to be storming today. But no, it's turned into a beautiful, bright uh, blue sky Nice temperature day. It is. Uh, I've been here for a few days in in Bright, and uh, it's an absolutely wonderful place to uh, bring a family and to to hang out and drink some beers. Um, but first of all, before we talk any beer, tell us a little bit about Bright, the town. If, if you know, if you're trying to explain this to somebody in a different part of Australia, what is Bright? Well, Bright is only half its name. Its real name is actually Beautiful Bright. Uh, So welcome to beautiful Bright and Bright Brewery. Uh, Bright is a little country town, I guess, on about three and a half hours northeast of Melbourne. We sit at the foothills of uh, the Victorian Alps. So we're at the uh, basic uh, base of Mount Hotham, of Falls Creek and Mount Buffalo all surround us. And we're in a valley called the Great Alpine Valleys. So we're about an hour or a little bit less, about 45 minutes drive uh, south of Beechworth. A lot of people will know Beechworth, and about an hour south of uh, Aubrey, Wodonga, on the New South Wales border. So it's a small town. We've only got a population of between about two and two and a half thousand. That's not that many people. In summer, it swells to about a population of 30,000 people just through tourism. Uh, There's a lot of people who come camping here in Bright because it is an incredible camping spot. It's an incredible nature spot. People love to hang out in the Ovens River, which is just a couple of metres behind us here at Bright Brewery, the beautiful Ovens River, which flows from Mount Feathertop. Uh, So it's beautiful snow melt, uh, pristine alpine water and it flows all the way up to to Wangaratta. Um, And they come to enjoy the nature. They come to enjoy the mountains. They go hiking on on Mount Feathertop and and Buffalo. Um, And it's a fantastic place that just comes really alive during summer. Winter, we're a little bit quieter because uh, it's all about snow in winter, so everyone goes to the mountain skis uh, in in winter. Um, Bright, it's a, it's a really vibrant community, small town. It's not your traditional uh, boring country town that's dying. It's uh, actually quite vibrant. There's a lot of new blood moving in here, starting small businesses. Uh, we've got our own uh, artisan coffee roaster. We've got our own artisan chocolate maker. We've got a gin distillery that's just opened up. We've got chef-hatted restaurants, uh, fine dining. We've got now br- a brewery, which is pretty cool. You should go check it out sometime. I think it's right there. Um, and and look, heaps of awesome cafes, great coffee, um, and, and a really great community vibe. So uh, I'm... A born and re- uh, 
born and raised Melbourne person. I, I, I'm a city person um, all my life until I moved here for this job about uh, just over three years ago. And I didn't really have to give up much uh, of the city life other than the things I hated about city life, which was traffic and commuting and the number of people that just get in your way in the city. Um, <laughs> I've got all the convenience uh, here of, you know, the, the great cafes. We've even got a cinema here, um, that, that sort of thing. So it's a very easy place to live. It's a very beautiful place to live. I live 400 metres that way, so I can stroll to and from work every day. My commute is always five minutes regardless of traffic conditions. Um, and there is a heck of a lot of stuff to do here. Uh, if you know, No matter what uh, age group you're in, no matter what demographic you're in, uh, there's a bit of something for everyone, which is what I love about this place. Um, you know, We've got a big cycling culture here, so whether you um, just want to go for a casual roll down the rail trail, which goes from Wangaratta to Bright, big 80-metre, uh, 80-metre, that would be a pretty short walk rail trail, <laughs> big 80-kilometre rail trail, um, that's great for families. If you're you know, a mad keen shredder on the mountain bikes, we've got the awesome Mystic Mountain Bike Park to do um, everything from you know, double black runs down to a nice cru- cruisy green run. If you're a road cyclist, you can climb some epic mountains. Um, if you don't like bikes at all, you can bring your motorbike and ride some epic mountains. Um, if you're into paragliding, skiing, you know, hiking... Whatever it is that you're into, there's something to do here uh, in Bright. So James, it's, uh, I, I really feel that you, you've described it so well that everybody's just turned off listening and has gone on to uh, TripAdvisor and is booking the next holiday to Bright. I've got, I must say, I do actually, like, I'm amazed at, like, how the variety of things to do here. But also, one thing that I'm really amazed by is the amount of slides going into the <laughs> yeah. Ovens River. And I'm kind of thinking it is such close proximity to the brewery. There must have been some lost bets and things, uh, people going in. Look, you don't need to use the slides for that. But yes, the, the <laughs> Ovens River is the ultimate playground in, in summer. Well, actually, I mean, there's been people in it already because we had a few hot days last week. But yes, we do have the, uh, the big water slide and just the little uh, slide that just goes from uh, the edge into it and even the diving board and yeah, look, it's it's hard to get your way onto those slides during summer because they're so popular. But there is, uh, there's been many uh, occasions where I think people have ended up um, from the brewery straight into the river, <laughs> uh, which is uh, sometimes good because we we support a lot of the big sporting events which happens here. We have the uh, Bright Brewery Tour of Bright, which is a big cycling event, or the Buffalo Stampede, which is sky running. So people, I don't know who these people are, but they enjoy running up mountains, running down mountains. So doing a marathon, basically, 40k up down a mountain um, and then or they come in grab a pier and then just go straight to the river and sit in the river for a few hours and recover it's a, it's a beautiful thing <laughs> that's perfect um, I, I, it's actually flowing very quickly at the moment so I've, I've refrained from sliding be pretty cold at the moment too there's a few last bits of snow melt in there so that would be a bit cold but uh, come come warmer days it will be very nice and relaxing I've spent many a summer in my uh, little inflatable donut with a beer in hand, uh, just floating down that river, it's it is uber relaxing because uh, it is it is well it's, it's a flowing river, so it's um, it it does have a uh, not a tide, but it has what do you call a it? Current. Yeah, it has a current. That's a, a word. Uh, so yeah, you could you can start uh, about a kilometre in that direction and just uh, put in your inflatable device, sit on it. Um, with a beer in hand, and it will just carry you right down to the br- the brewery. It's a beautiful thing. With please wear helmets and knee pads, uh, <laughs> all safety equipment, and um, 
talk like what I noticed about Bright in the few days I've been here. Um, this is by no means peak season, but I'm kind of amazed that the brewery here doesn't seem to be kind of part of the town. It kind of seems to be the focal point. It always seems to be busy. People seem to be drawn to it no matter what time of day. And it almost seems like the heartbeat of of Bright. Is that fair to say? Look, if I say that, a couple of locals might get a bit angry with me. So I will will say thanks for saying that. I, you know, I really hope that, that we are. I think we do really want Bright Brewery to be this social hub of Bright. Um, we are a very family-friendly venue. We're not just a brewery. We are a multi-purpose venue, which um, is used for, for many different groups, and whether it's people who's just meeting up for a beer or people having having meeting, I can actually see the local cycling club are in there at the moment having an actual meeting. Uh, so that's cool. Um, we've got families who are here for a meal. Uh, we've got couples. We've just got locals. Um, it is It is very true that we are a bit of a social hub and I think that's the environment that we've set up here Um, it is like I said family friendly we do welcome more we are very welcoming if you've got dogs if you've got kids um, you know whatever your persuasion is uh, please come down to Bright Brewery because you're welcome here and I think that really sets a nice tone and environment to what the place is Uh, and of course we've just got the best view to kick back with for a beer in Bright so who wouldn't want to be here on an afternoon like this? Yeah, and it seems that you've really keyed into uh, the essence of the area, which is you know the active side. Uh, looking at your, the the banners around, you've got you know that big uh, mountain biking community, cycling community, snowboarding, skiing, all the rest. You're kind of using those as as a way into um, you know increase the. That's it. I guess the the key, look, and let me clarify to listeners, I am the marketing manager here, so please uh, (laughs) please take that in the context that, yes, everything I said may may be marketing. I I I think they would have been able to tell you. (laughs) Very good. Uh, The the, the brewery is built around uh, Scott Brandon, who's our owner and founder and and the guy who started this place, and he, he very much drew it on what he wanted his lifestyle and integration with the community to be. He wanted Bright to be a Bright Brewery to be a representation of Bright and the high country. We're not here to be um, our own thing, I, th- I think. We're, we're here to be part of Bright at, at the heart and soul. Um, so we, we have a couple of core values, which is um, one of them is to be active, and that's active as active lifestyles. We're very much encouraging the people, get out there, explore the outdoors, use your feet, use your legs, um, go out there and enjoy the outdoors. Um, and we're very much about being active in commu- our community. So we do a lot of um, community support, sponsorships, fundraising, uh, community events, all that type of thing that helps grow um, the, the local community and helps uh, Bright thrive uh, through Bright Brewery being here. So, yeah, you, you're very much right that all our branding, all our, I guess, our actions a very much bright focus and bright centric and it's about what it is like to live in bright so when you see the marketing that comes out of bright it is very much about you know connecting with the bright lifestyle now you um what's telling me before you you're self-confessed being nerd um is that fair to say? I, I said it then, and I, I really worried that, that whether that was offensive. No, no, no not <laughs> at a, all. Or a compliment. No, see, I am I am extremely offensive with myself. I'm I'm a full on beer wanker, um, absolutely, and uh, I am I'm perfectly comfortable in uh, my. 
bi-uality, I think. Um, so I, yeah, I, I'm a beer geek, beer nerd, beer wanker. Uh, what the definition of those terms are, I don't know, um, but I do love beer. And I do just get a bit nerdy over beer, um, not to the extent that some people do. I think working in the beer industry has softened me a bit to understand that beer is also a business uh, and business also requires uh, a bit of control of your nerdy state of life. Otherwise, uh, you're just going to go out of business if you get too nerdy. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely do love beer and love exploring the whole world of, uh, of beer. I think in a previous episode, Emily Day, uh, editor of Froth Magazine, uh, described... Who we the, love! Yeah, Hi, Em! <laughs> described the other people as normos. And normos. we do forget about the normos when you're so into a topic That's that you it. can get. That's Actually, it. most people could care less. <laughs> and I think that it hits exactly what I meant by softening myself. I've had to, uh, as a marketing manager... Focus on what those normos are because they're the people that I actually need to be marketing to. So I've had to pull back a lot of my own beer nerdery uh, to understand what the people who aren't into, um, let's call it the craft beer world at the moment, um, are looking for. So we can we can connect with them and, and market with them and, and hopefully get them interested because they are still the majority of the market in the end. You know, good old craft beer is still only about 5% of the total market in Australia. So we've got a long, long way to go to uh, chip away at uh, making sure that everyone has a better appreciation of beer. And what a journey that's going to be. But first, we've got to take us on the journey of your uh, six beers, your chosen brews. So um, I think we've set the scene really well. Let's, uh, well, you have actually <laughs> set I, the scene really well. Let's. Can I, can I even reset the scene? Because. Um, before I was a beer nerd, I wasn't a beer nerd, so I need to put a bit of context on on where my beer journey starts, um, if I may. And, uh, and <laughs> a and lot of people you... don't like to talk about <laughs> their pre, but you know the fact that they did drink. Oh, everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows everything about this uh, anyway. So I just uh, thought for your listeners, I'd uh, rehash. Um, Look, I, I came to alcohol in general very late in life. I never drank uh, before I was the age of 23. So I missed out on a lot of that discovery stage that a lot of people had between when they turn 18. Um, that was just due to family life of the, the family world I was living in. Um, but when I left home in my sort of um, between 23 and 24, that's when I got into alcohol to start with um, and did my best to make up for lost time. Uh, for that reason, I don't really remember being 24, 25 and 26. Uh, there's a lot of lost time. I've actually tried to dig back into my internet archives to remember what got me into craft beer because there is a big fuzzy patch of um, those early years that why did I get so excited about craft beer uh, in, in the first place? Because I, I remember, you know, when I started drinking beer, I hated it. I really did. I didn't get it. Um, you know, I came late to the party, and everyone was already a fan, and I was drinking VB and just not understanding it. I ended up drinking anything that was on the sweet side of stuff. So as a lot of young people do, they, they have this discovery when, unfortunately, they're 15, 16, 17. They drink your, your sugary pre-mixed drinks, um, your Bacardi Breezes, your Vodka Cruises. And, uh, and for me, it was your, your 
bourbon and Cokes and your Jack Daniels and Coke and stuff, which absolutely makes me cringe these days and I just can't even think about. So I did drink a lot of shit beer to make up for lost time or for self-medication, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, to, to really to find that epiphany moment, I can't remember exactly what it is. I know that I did a lot of... I lived quite close to a Dan Murphy's. So I did a lot of price shopping. So I, I was looking for the highest alcohol for the lowest price, as you do back in those days when you're young. Uh, and whatever it was, I don't know if it was the marketing, because that's where I ultimately ended up, but something drew me to the aisles of craft beer, as we will call it, um, or it, not necessarily independent beer, because it was mostly back then James Squire and co. Um, but the packaging sort of drew me in and um, started focusing my attention on something else. And, and so I guess I started exploring just with thanks to the range that was in front of me at, at those big box stores like Dan Murphy's. Um, what is actually first on my list? Yeah, ah, so choice one. Choice one. Here we go. Okay, so somewhere I had started exploring, but what it really happened was I went to a primary school anniversary in two thousand, early 2008, um, and it was an old primary school friend that I hadn't seen since I guess we'd graduated school, and it was, I don't know, so look, I... I'm 30, how old am I? 37? 30, yeah, I'm 37 now. I graduated primary school in 2012. This was 2000, it must have been about 15 years. It was a 15 year primary yourself, school anniversary. You can call yourself 36 because yeah. you lost the year when you're 24. So. I lost two years, three years anyway. <laughs> so. so we were at a bar catching up with people we hadn't since primary school. Um, and I, my friend just put a beer in front of me and just went, try this. And it was a quark. Um, so yeah, Paul Paulu Quack, um, classic Belgium ale, strong dark Belgium ale, kind of like what we have on Tap at Bright Brewery called Fainer's Double, um, and it blew me away because it tasted like nothing I'd ever had before. Um, it was malty, it was sweet, it was had, you know toffee and dark fruits, all those flavours that you. What for me, beer was. VB and Melbourne Bitter. Melbourne Bitter, which I actually grown to love because I started sort of growing up um, figuratively in the, the Melbourne um, rock music scene, in the, in the pub rock music scene, and I just got a taste for it, for that dirty, sticky rock. But this beer blew me away. So it's, I guess it's strong. It's about 8%. Um, it was dark. It was just flavoursome. So that started me really on an interest to go let me try other stuff. I really, really want to try other stuff because, uh, yeah, Quokka, it, it's it's a beer that I haven't had since that I've enjoyed as much. I think I'm going to say this a lot about the, the beers <laughs> that I go through. But, you know, I, I just don't think it's um, I've, it's as fresh these days. or I, I don't know. There's so much more choice these days. I don't think it's given the uh, – it's got the same turnover Whatever I I need I probably need to go to uh, to Europe and and have it where it's authentic, but uh, yeah that really started me. Uh, thanks James Blaney, my good old 
primary school friend who gave me that beer and uh, told me to go and try some other things, and that's where it began. Yeah, I actually had a uh, quok uh, maybe about five years ago now. I was back home, and uh, it got served in a with a wooden stand yes. with the bulbous end of the glass. The classic quok but, glass. Uh, you, you had to put a £10 deposit so that you didn't <laughs> walk nice, off with it. <laughs> There's so, got to be a few. And yeah. apparently the story behind uh, the bulbous glasses was because of the stagecoach drivers. Oh. So they had a separate bar for the, the hoi polloi who were in the stagecoach and the stagecoach drivers so that they didn't stay too long. They couldn't put their glass down on the bar. Right. So they had a bulbous end so they couldn't place it down anywhere and get talking. They just had to. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, Learning so something the story I goes. Yeah. yeah, so the story goes. But um, I've seen that glass and I know that that glass is the quack glass. Uh, but I, I never actually knew that yeah. story. That's fantastic. I, I'm not yep. sure how verifiable it is, yeah. but it's, that's, well, that, that, you know, it sounds good. That's so. true. Can I caveat all this stuff with the, the fact that a lot of this might not be true? Please don't put any uh, validation between what I say because a lot of it has been wiped out uh, by my enjoyment of beer. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, um, yeah, that, that, that whole glass-shaped thing is one of those things that sort of sparked my interest in you know why is this whole different world of beer because back you know when beer was just fizzy yellow lager that's what beer was but the quok opened up this not only a different color and flavor of beer but a different way of serving beer and a different story behind beer so yeah amazing stuff well i will be asking you later about the perfect receptacle to drink these six beers out of and obviously your uh, your ultimate snack but let's go on to choice two all right, so choice two, um, continuing on that from that story, is really when I went then back to good old Dan Murphy's and dug into what was at the other end of the scale of the beers. Um, and for me, what appealed to me was the range back in 2008 of Matilda Babies. Um, and it was Dog Bolter, another dark beer, uh, officially um, styled by them as a Munich dark lager, I think, uh, a Munich dunkel lager, I should say, so um, a dark wheaty lager, um, about 5.2%. And uh, actually, let me backtrack a step because I brought something here that actually helped me along that journey, right? So I've got a newspaper article because I'm a geek and I held on to a whole lot of beer shit back in those days. I got a newspaper article from July 2008 from the Herald Sun. Eighth of, so that's the uh, Melbourne News Corp newspaper. We should we'll, we'll get a picture of this and, and put it so read it, uh, listeners can read it. Absolutely, or readers can listen it. So after that experience with my old primary school friend, I obviously stumbled across this in the newspaper uh, article by Greg Tom, uh, a journalist who one a classic. Uh, this is a classic article of newspapers from the mid-2000s where they got, I guess, the sports journalist to write about beer. Um, <laughs> I mean, Greg was much more than a sports journalist. Um, he, he covered a whole lot of things, but uh, he, he does actually have a decent appreciation for craft beer, so good on you, Greg. But he wrote an article back then called Australia's Top 20 Beers, and uh, there's a lineup of the top five, and then it goes into uh, another 15 that he suggests. And I sort of put myself on a mission to track down each one of the beers that was on the list and, um, and try them all. Uh, number one was Little Creatures Powwow. That was actually already everywhere at that time because this is 2008. So Little Creatures Powwow was quite prolific available at that time. And I certainly had that, but I just I couldn't 
get around my head around the hops at the time or I couldn't get my tongue around the hops at the time. I was just not a hop forward person. And that's because you need to allow your palate to develop for hops. I mean, hops are, are, are not a, a natural thing for your palate to love because they are bitterness and bitterness means danger. So you actually need to uh, uh, de- look look into it, people. It's true. Um, you actually need to develop a taste for it. So this number two on the list was Matilda Bay's Dog Bolter. Uh, and... So I found that. Um, it was quite hard to track down. I had to go out to a place called Purvis Cellars out in Surrey Hills, uh, which was just a, a great treasure a treasure trove of many, many random craft beers. Um, and, yeah, I you know, another dark beer that I, I, I wouldn't say fell in love with, but really gained an appreciation of what's different about beer. But I also got a bit nerdy about the Matilda Bay story because it was the first time that I really connected with the fact that these were um well the the origin story was a couple of people who had started a brewery um and it wasn't just made in big factories it wasn't mass produced it wasn't foreign owned this was local boutique microbrewery beer so i really um uh, got into the whole Matilda Bay thing until I found out that it was all a lie because Matilda Bay had sold to what would become CUB back in the late 80s. So I was actually 20 years late already. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all the, uh, you know, all the Matilda Bay stuff the, these days was just marketing. It had a bit more clout behind it uh, back in 2008 that it does now because there was still a Matilda Bay brewery based out at Dandenong called the Matilda Bay Garage. Uh, the head um, Brad Rogers as the head brewer there was doing amazing things. Uh, he's now obviously the one of the owners of, of Stone and Wood Brewery. Um, he, <laughs> interesting, uh, one of the things that sort of turned me off Matilda Bay in the end was uh, the fact that I also um, did start developing my palate for hops on Alpha Parallel, which was which I do have an original bottle here. I'm not saying original, but um, it's with a, one of the two thousand vintage two thousand and seven versions of the bottle before they changed the brand again. Um, but that wasn't an originally in a Matilda Bay beer. So Brad Rogers actually developed that beer to the best of my knowledge when he was working at a brewery in Queensland at Sanctuary Cove called Masthead. Well, that was the brand. I think the Sanctuary Cove Brewery um, with the Masthead beers. Brad developed uh, beers like Alpha Parallel, Bees Knees, Bohemian Pilsner. That these days, because Sanctuary Cove was owned by CUB, they're just part of the Matilda Bay brand. So I, I really enjoyed looking into the history and everything of Matilda Bay. But I soon, oh, well, it took me a while, but I did eventually learn that a lot of what was Matilda Bay now was not Matilda Bay of the original 1980s in Fremantle uh, in Western Australia. It was a completely different thing. It was just brands owned by CUB, which they had lumped into this basket called Matilda Bay. And I think, you know, that's kind of the reason why Matilda Bay has died these days is because it lost the soul, the heart and soul of that brand, which uh, I was a huge fan of. Even Dog Bolter back in the 1980s was a completely different beer. It was a strong dark lager. It was about 8%. And you can go to the Sal and Anchor in in Fremantle, uh, which is a great uh, pilgrimage. If you're a craft beer fan, I definitely recommend going to the Sal and Anchor, which was the original home of the Anchor Brewery, which was Matilda Bay. 
and they do have an archive beer war of a, a in a big glass case all of the original bottles from the Matilda Bay Brewing Company as it originally was and there is a big bottle of the original Dog Bolter and I went there a couple of years back and completely nerded out about this uh that this real thing that happened that started I guess what's known as the the modern microbrew um revolution or the renaissance I guess the modern craft beer renaissance in Australia in the 1980s and that I got all, all nerdy about that. I looked into the history. I, I studied it. I, I tried to understand it. Um, and it got me really interested in the personal stories behind why people were making different beer. Now, you hit on it really there about, you know, CUB kind of buying a brand, lumping in things together, changing, obviously, essentially what a beer is or mm. was. Um, we are promised with all the modern buyouts that, no, we've bought it for a reason. We're, we're not there to change it. Um, what do you think of the like the more recent buyouts and things? And is change inevitable? Yeah, look, I I've got to be careful what I say because I'm within the industry and I've got to be <laughs> got to be professional <laughs> about this. But I, look, I think it you can, it can go either way. In the end, I think it's about what the marketing team do to it. And I say this as someone who is the marketing team for a brewery. Um, I think I really like what Lion does because I think with little creatures, they haven't turned it into any sort of bullshit. They've they've really just let them be what they are. Um, same with White Rabbit. Um, you know, look, in all truth, Lion was always in some way connected to those brands. They've always had a hand there. But um, at least so far, they they haven't done anything to those brands that has changed them. Um, I don't know if the beer has changed. I don't have a smart enough palate to, to know. Little Creatures Pale Ale was never one of my favourite beers, so I never drank a lot of it and couldn't tell you if it's the same now and it was then. Um I, I think in the end, it's what the marketing story... I, I, I was involved with a focus group for Matilda Bay when they were researching their brand relaunch um, and, and looking at, um, you know, shifting to what became Port Melbourne, which is now Colonial Brewery. And I just, uh, being at that focus group, understood that all they cared about was the branding on the bottle the the truth of the story and the history and the soul of the people behind the original brewery didn't matter so much to them in the end it was just the brand on the bottle but in the end i think as long as you declare your history as long as you're honest and authentic about what you are um i'm trying to think of a good example of people who are just straight up saying how it is that are still playing at the big end i would like you know cub to go yeah, even, you know, Matilda Bay, it's not what it was. Uh, create a new brand around it. I guess that's what they've done with Yak Ales now. The whole Yak Ales thing is they've wiped, essentially wiped Matilda Bay out. And I think they just, they tried to do too much with Matilda Bay. I think it had a lot to do with the success of Fat Yak. Uh, Fat Yak was a huge brand for them. And they all they saw was the brand. They didn't understand that you know maybe it was the beer itself it probably was just the brand that was resonating with people therefore they tried to 
replicate that with other brands which have all failed since, like Minimum Chips. It's like, oh, we've got this Larrikin name, so we've got to give all our other beers a Larrikin name, uh, and therefore, who cares what the beer is? Because every beer that they uh, released after that was just a lager or a golden ale of some description, so it was boring-ass beer, uh, but it had a funny name. But no, that completely missed the point. People want uh, character in the beer, uh, they want flavour and character, but they want authenticity with the story behind it, which is why I think some of the best brands going around at the moment have great people behind it who are, you know, front and centre saying, this is what we are, this is how we're doing it, um, this is what we want to be. And uh, so most most recent sale with Feral, it'll be interesting to see how much of Brendan continues on, how much of Brendan and Will, who are, you know, very much feral beer, um, continue on with that. Uh, you know, Four Pines, a, a bit the same. I feel like I'm Victorian, so I haven't had much exposure to the story behind that brewery. Uh, but if it continues on as is, good on them. I think it's just a matter of balancing that marketing. I think you're spot on with the I think I ramble a lot of bullshit along there. No, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so uh, look, look, our glasses are empty. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we let, okay, let's do choice three and then we'll, choice we'll, three. we'll pause and, and then we'll we pause. go. Okay, so All right. choice three. Here's where it really kicked into gear to me. Uh, here's where I th- really started to understand what I loved about uh, the the small independent breweries, as I'll call them, the craft breweries of the world, which is Holgate Big Reg, which I have a bottle here in my hand. It is an empty bottle. It's just uh, a bottle I held on to because I loved it so much and it was epiphany. At the end of 2008, I got out to... So I had been hearing about Holgate. I don't know if they were on this list of uh, 20 beers by Greg. No, I'm pretty sure they weren't. Um, but... Oh, I know what it was. It was a Victorian microbrewery showcase at Fed Square. That was an awesome time when those things were running. I'll explain that I another day. I think I went to one Did you? Yeah. early in the day, and it was it was immense. It was so, it was so it was so cheap, and you could just drink it any w- beers. It was <laughs> it was great times when it originally originally ran quarterly at Fed Square. These days, it's kind of been reborn as a good beer uh, good beer week showcase at Fed Square. But yeah, it was just a whole lot of the local independent breweries. It was a bit of a um, uh, showcase for Vami, which was the Victorian microbreweries industry um, body before the IBA came along. Um, anyway. Holgate won a People's Choice Award for this beer, and for the first time in my life, my ears pricked up at, oh, a beer has won an award, uh, so there's marketing working on me. So I, I made it, we, my wife and I made a pilgrimage out to, to Holgate at Woodend, which is about an hour northwest of, of Melbourne, uh, and it was as far as I remember, it was my first genuine visit to a small brewery where I was actually going there to go and try beer rather than just going in for a meal or it because of what you did as a tourist. And um, I tried this Big Reg and it was a lager and it blew my mind because it was like no lager I had ever tasted before. It was first red, a really, really brilliant red, red colour and it was sweet. Whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Uh, it's got a great story behind it, and you've probably never seen it since because, as 
far as I know, Paul Holgate thinks he has no idea how to brew it and therefore will never brew it again. Um, so it was originally supposed to be a, a Vienna-style red ale, a, a Mertzen or an Oktoberfest beer um, called Big Red. Uh, but for whatever reason, there was a smelling... Well, there was a smelling, sorry. <laughs> there was a tight... Look, I've had one beer. There was a typo down the line, and instead of Big Red, it came out as Big Reg. Um, so it became known as Big Reg. And it was just a 5% Vienna-style red lager, um, as it's listed on the bottle. Supposed, obviously not too style, um, therefore they, they couldn't rebrew it. But for some reason, Paul decided he couldn't replicate it like it, it had been originally released. Uh, but just the, the beauty of that beer, that, that crystal red colour um, and the flavour really, really blew me away. And I became a huge fan of the beer. It was the first craft beer uh, that I say with air quotes um, that I could drink by six packs and slabs because, you know, there was a lot of these other beers that I was trying and sampling at the time. And, you know, big shout out to the James Squire range. I certainly drank a lot of their Amber Ale. Uh, but it was I could only have, you know, one or two or three before I felt completely saturated in the flavour. Um, or the bitterness, or that type of thing. This was the first sort of beer that you know I considered buying a craft beer by a slab and forking out eighty bucks or whatever it was. So it really uh, got me into the sessionable side of of craft beer, rather than it being a, a one-off thing for um, that that exploded your mouth. Uh, so we, I don't think we'll ever see it again. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it's been uh, struck off. The, the, uh, the Holgate production line as they, they focus on other stuff. Um, who knows? For a while, Paul was promising that it may come back, but, you know, it, it never, never has. I, whenever I see him, I ask him if he can rebrew it again for me, but then he tells me that he hasn't even got a recipe for it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Big Reg, it was, it was a fantastic beer. I, I was digging through my um, just my photos uh, on my computer from back in those days, trying to place together whatever my my beer geek timeline was and i found the photos on my first visit to holgate back in 2008 um there's a great photo of me trying temptress for the first time and my face just going (laughs) and that's me sort of going a what the fuck face because it was amazing because it was chocolate but it was all these other weird dark porter flavors i hadn't really drunk any porters at that stage um and a porter can be quite confronting confronting through the uh you know the the roast flavors of it uh but yeah that that also became uh one of my sort of favorite beers um out of victoria back in the day the good old holgate temptress but yeah big reg classic yeah, well from a uh, markson point of view the hit the label is is fantastic isn't it it's kind of it's it's actually shows you how far the industry has come because the late the back of the label as well is really quaint because they're kind of advertising that they've got good accommodation and meals absolutely <laughs> it's like you'd never see that now <laughs> this is exactly craft this is um quintessential craft beer label design from the early to mid 2000s it is uh, really old school. It looks, it, it's got a bit of American sort of touch to it with the lettering of Holgate and the outlining of it. It looks like some sort of American gridiron sports um, thing, but you know, big bull, but all the classic sort of vintage beer uh, style to it with the circular um, elements to it. 
and it looks like something that would have fit in uh, possibly back in the seventies as well as in the in the nineties and the two thousands. It was vintage beer before before designers really got into the world of, of craft beer. And it's not even 10 years old. It's not it? even... Ten, well, <laughs> like, it is 10 years old. Oh, that, yeah, oh, no, where's the, the... It's got the best before date there. So Best before date is 10-2009. So there we yeah, go. So Beer design has come a very, <laughs> very long way in that time. And, you know, look, I mean, Holgate started late 90s, 99. They probably didn't change their design too much they probably didn't really change their design until the last five years they've they've um they've really upped the ante now and and given themselves their own unique flavor but uh yeah it's uh uh, that's just quintessential. You could line up so many beers, craft beers from the uh, early two thousands, and everyone looked pretty much the same. Yeah, because everything about that label says it shouldn't. They shouldn't have a website, <laughs> but the website it. is listed right at the bottom. So. That's it. You could have picked this beer up in nineteen twenties, and it would have fit in perfectly. All right, time for a beer. As James and I just take a little bit of time to replenish our glasses, I'd just like to. Thank you all for listening and thank you as well for the messages you've been sending through um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at The Chosen Brew. Make sure you share The Chosen Brew uh, with your friends and people down a pub and people who don't listen to podcasts. Uh, get them in, get them into it and get them on board. Uh, really appreciate your support. Let's get back to it. Cheers. So I just got us some yeah, uh, Yippie Taille, which was our Bright Brewery Gab's beer for this year. A nice, uh, it's, I guess it's a, a strong pale ale with Thai red curry or red Thai curry uh, flavours. So it's got a lot of lemongrass and ginger. Um, there was 12 different uh, spice elements or, or uh, flavour elements that went into a bag and we basically teabagged it in the, uh, in the kettle. And it's holding up beautifully, and it's really refreshing at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm liking. It. We're we're on the last last keg, I think, at the moment. So I'm actually trying to get rid of it so we re- can re- put <laughs> the next seasonal on. But yeah, I I actually was looking along the bar list, and it would be definitely a beer that I wouldn't order. And I'm uh, because uh, you know Thai red curry. I'm thinking, mm. what is that's that's food. It's yeah. not beer. <laughs> like, and then you brought this out. I tasted it, and I'll probably put. I wouldn't mind putting a dent in that keg, yeah. uh, keg tonight because <laughs> well, I think like, we've still wow. got some bottles, so feel free to, to, oh, to buy some bottles. It's, to uh, take it's it's beautiful, and uh, I I suppose that comes down to marketing. You know, yeah. you've got to be able to sell a beer, get it into people's uh, mouths before they actually um, yeah know well, what they're missing. I can't I can't really claim credit. Uh, the the brewer came up with the concept. He originally uh, brewed somewhere else in one of his previous jobs. A a uh, Thai curry beer, um, so he wanted to refine that and do a better version with Thai red curry style flavors. Um, and I actually put a poll out to our staff. Uh, we use an internal Facebook group or a closed Facebook group to, to you know, communicate with our staff and, and let everyone know what's going. So I set up a poll to vote for a Thai pun name for the beer. Uh, we got pretty close to to Thai hard. No, no, sorry, to yeah, to Thai four. Sorry. To tie for, uh, but then I found out that that had already been used, uh, but no one had used Yippie Taille, so yeah, I, I, I like a good movie pun in a beer. Yeah, uh, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to resist the one, but there's many of ours. But um, 
Well, we've gone through, uh, we're halfway through, but before we go on to your fourth choice, um, you are a um, co-host of another podcast, uh, another high-quality beer <laughs> podcast, shall we say. Ah, no, we don't need to talk about that. The podcast is dead. So, yes, Not Too Bright is my silly little podcast that I started with a former work colleague here, Ev. Uh, it was just about two guys getting to know each other over beers, talking about life in Bright. We were both beer nerds. We were both uh, podcast fans. So we started Not Too Bright, and it was shambolic and silly. Uh, it got a bit too popular. Um, <laughs> not uh, talking myself up, but we actually did get quite a, a instant uh, little rise in... Um, people tuning in and maybe a bit to my own detriment professionally because I was uh, I was drunkenly probably saying too much that I should as a professional working in the craft beer industry anyway it was yeah it was a, a fun lot of uh, shit between myself and Ev uh, drinking beers talking about beers and talking about life in bright uh, Ev's cleared off hasn't no he? yeah he, he moved he moved to Queensland the uh, big smoke he's be- yeah <laughs> It was a it was a family move, so uh, he his uh, fiance and, and then young child uh, moved to Queensland. And that kind of killed it because we we tried it over Skype, but it hasn't really worked because it was very much about the face to face experience of Ev and I catching up, having a few beers, and just recording. It essentially was just us having stupid conversations that we recorded. We recorded about thirty of them. I think twenty of them made it to air. Uh so not too bright was a, a fun moment in our lives uh that that happened. We are killing it off because it's it's just not working for us at the moment and I'm paying for hosting fees that I can't afford <laughs> that sort of shit. So uh we we're just trying to get to the final episode but I'm just waiting for to catch up with Ev in person again so we can do face-to-face as we wanted it to be originally. And when that happens, it will die. And, and hopefully I'll be able to start something new. It, it was very much about the dynamic that I, Ev and I had uh, between each other. And I we couldn't maintain that uh, over an internet podcast. or sorry, an internet podcast, over an internet uh, conversation so, yeah, look, I'd, I'd love to find something new to do in the podcast world that probably fits a bit more appropriately with me professionally as being a marketing person within the industry. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, I'll, I'll work that out one day. Just haven't had the spark yet. Well, I'll still put the uh, the link for those listeners who feel like free, to Feel free uh, to go listen and listen to, to all the uh, Not Too Bright episodes. Just don't believe anything I say or just don't put any weight to anything I say in those podcasts because most of the time I'm drinking and just trying to have some fun and that's what it was about. Well, Some people take things too seriously. <laughs> well, talking of drinking and having too much fun, let's go on to your fourth choice. Oh, that's when the fun really started began and I really started to become a big geek, I guess, uh, and when I hit the world of Imperial Stouts. I had seen mention in the Beer Geek rounds of this Imperial Stout and that there was a really good one down at Red Hill. Uh, so I, I went on more pilgrimages to track it down and when I got it, it was one of those beautiful moments. Uh, Red Hill Imperial Stout. Uh, one of those first experiences where I went to a small local brewery and just had a 
absolutely pe- pleasurable environment experience. Have you been to Red Hill? I haven't been yet, um, but I do. It's uh, down on Mornington Peninsula, That's isn't it? it about, yeah, uh, just over an hour from Melbourne. Yeah, and I believe they have uh, you know traditional um, beer engines, English style hand pumps. Yeah, at least one last like, time, yeah. or oh, maybe two. Um, not sure if it's changed. And I certainly yeah. had a lot of their beers, the Scotch Ale, and absolutely, um, yeah, huge fan of the yeah. Scotch Ale. And uh, look, the first time I went there, I just I fell instantly in love with that place. It's look, it's not quite as scenic as Bright Brewery by a river, but it is a truly beautiful uh, little corner of the Mornington Peninsula. Uh, unfortunately, I was always the driver, so I could never really enjoy myself that much until we actually booked a holiday where we stayed across the road there's a accommodation called stringy bark lodge i don't know if it's still there still acting as accommodation but it was a fantastic little um cottage where we stayed in for a weekend and then we could wander across the road and just enjoy ourselves to no end at red hill brewery and uh then wander back across the road because it is that it is kind of in the middle of nowhere uh but in a, in a really good way. It's just nestled amongst trees. They have their own little hop garden, which is uh, beautiful. And all the beer that they make is is top end. But the, the Red Hill Imperial Stout, you may have noticed there's no hoppy beers in my list here because I, in the end, I'm not a hophead. I, I love hops. I appreciate hops. Uh, but in the end, I am ultimately a, a malt uh, flavour drinker when it comes to it and and that really hit a button for me the imperial stouts um i certainly went down in imperial stout hole there's a lot of beer geeks i think do because they become the the top end of uh what craft beer is i think especially you know when you get barrel aged and they get very expensive and very rare um so yeah imperial stout's a great thing and i think red hill imperial stout is a great example and back 2009 2010 there weren't that many around mornington came on board and they certainly do a ripper of an imperial stout absolutely um nails clout stout was around but that was unattainable because it was 70 bucks a bottle back then and you know for a 750 meter uh, 750 meter bottle wow <laughs> that <laughs> would be incredible that is definitely i would some pay clout. 70 bucks for that <laughs> <laughs> 750 mil bottle and that could be bright's new project yeah. is to do the <laughs> the longest bottle in australia <laughs> that would be a big bottle <laughs> and and uh yeah look there was a few around even bright brewery uh did one but Red Hill was pro- probably one of the, the most easiest to access because it was always in Melbourne when they released it, uh, and you can always go down. And it led to one of the ultimate beer experiences, which is the Red Hill Brewers Secret Stash Weekend, which happens in July. There are two incredible beer, cri- beer pilgrimages that you need to make uh, in Victoria in July. Uh, the first one, not going in date order, the first one is Red Hill's Breweries. Uh, Secret Stash Weekend, where they put on a bit of an event where they just pull up all their vintage beers and put them on tap. Um, you can get your own special uh, Brewer's Secret Stash Stein and just get into their uh, most amazing high-end beers. Uh, one year they had a double-barrel-aged version of their Imperial Stout, which is, I think their normal Imperial Stout's about 8%. Um, their double-barrel-aged our double barrel aged version was about 10%. They um, had a truffle barrel aged version. Absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, one of my favorite weekends of the year. 
The other beer pilgrimage that you need to make is the Bright Brewery Darker Days Festival, which happens on the 30th of June next year. Please come up. It's Australia's only uh, outdoor dark beer festival featuring the brewers of the high country brewers only pouring dark beers. And it's the launch of our stubborn Russian Imperial Stout. Marketing. Uh, so <laughs> that's a festival that we started this year, Darker Days. It happens uh, at the first weekend of July slash last weekend of June uh, at it was it was an astounding weekend. We had so much fun. We're going to build that into a bigger and bigger thing each year. Uh, so look out for it next year, 30th yeah, of I, June. I kind of think it's really important to have an appreciation of uh, different beers, beer styles in terms of hop-driven beers seem to kind of get the headlines. And you've got this amazing, like, rich, like, history and also beers that, haven't got a requirement necessarily to be fresh. Yeah. Um, which are fantastic, which don't seem to get any of the uh, the social media buzz or any of the kind That's of it. showy things. And I know you had a, a national uh, brown... Brown Owl Day brown happened day last well. weekend. Yeah, so I, we're recording this at the end of October and the 3rd of October of every... Uh, Sorry, the 3rd October. The 3rd <laughs> Sunday of every October, uh, my wife and I have declared as Brown Hour Day just as a way of appreciating something different from the hop-forward beers that seem to denote uh, craft beer these days. Hey, before 30 years ago, there weren't really hop-forward craft beers. or well, there weren't hop-forward beers. Uh, and there's a couple thousand years history of beer, uh, which was essentially all about the malt. Uh, so, yeah, there is a lot more out there than just hops. I've got nothing against hop beers. I love hoppy beers, certainly, and there's a few that just didn't make my list, uh, which I'll mention at the end, which are, you know, amazing sort of West Coast-style, American-style uh, IPAs, which I love. And the, in the end, the one, beers that I just come back to again and again and again tend to be those those multi-beers. And Brown Owl Day was a bit of a just us putting our hand up and going, hey, social media beer world, Let's just try something else other than a hoppy beer or a Nipa and uh, let's show people our brown owls. And yeah, so hashtag brown owl day. I think probably the difference for me in terms of the approach to drinking those type of beers is a hot forward beer in the first mouthful you'll get the essence of what it is. A brown ale or a malt driven beer, you'll only get the essence of what it is when you're probably three quarters through the second pint <laughs> and it's it, kind yeah. of you have to build yes. it, you have to be open to build a relationship yep. they're not they're not a shower they're a grower yeah you've got to kind of really uh can i can i use that as the official <laughs> tagline for brown owl day next year not a shower it's a grower <laughs> uh, i like that I like yeah that. I, I have to no write that down i have no trademark claims <laughs> on that one so <laughs> so, so choice five choice five all right so I've, I've reached my Imperial Stout Beer Geek nerdery, uh, and then in 2010 comes along barrel-aged beers. Bum, bum, bum. And the one that uh, really sort of ticked all the boxes for me was Holgate's Beelzebub Jewels. So the second Holgate beer to make the list. Uh, yeah, big fan of what those guys do. Beelzebub's Jewels was either a Belgian quad or a barley wine. One of those, depending how you want to style it. Uh, around 12%. And it was barrel-aged in Pinot Noir uh, wine barrels. Uh, absolutely stunning beer. And it became... It's a special beer for, for me because it became... My wife and I... Um, it became our anniversary beer. The first time we had it, back in early 2010... 
um, was when we announced our engagement to the world, uh, which we had kept secret for a while. And then it became our sort of wedding anniversary year. So we loaded up on it. We loved it so much. Um, it was the first time I had ever spent $120 on two beers, uh, which was two bottles of Beelzebub's Jewels, because when they first released it in 20, uh, 2010, it was about 60 bucks a bottle for a 12% 750ml uh, beer. And yeah, walking home after going to good old Slow Beer back before it moved to uh, to Bridge Road when it was still in Hawthorne, walking home with two bottles after dropping $120 was a new experience for me. <laughs> Very new experience. It Was it like that experience whenever you're carrying an extraordinary amount of cash? I've only mm. done it a couple of times. And, yes. And not my own, probably for other people. Yeah. The messenger. And you kind of feel that like everybody in the street knows that no, you're carrying exactly. it and they're all looking at you going, you've got five grand on I, you. <laughs> so. I had that, the, oh, no, I had that first time I got out a check for the deposit on my the first house we bought. And it was like 40, 40 grand. Um, and I had a 40 grand check in my hand. And I was actually, I was working at CSR at the time, which was backs on to Monash University. So I went to the bank inside Monash University. So there's all these starving students, um, neglected students doing really top-end study in engineering and sciences. And I've gone into the, the bank there and withdrawn $40,000 in a <laughs> check. And I've had to walk a couple of hundred meters to get from the bank back to to the CSIRO offices. That was one of the scariest days of my life, but not as scary as carrying two bottles not of Beelzebub. Scary because <laughs> so we've somehow ended up with enough bottles of Beelzebub's jewels to be able to crack one every year on our wedding anniversary, which is in August. Um, so it's become our wedding an- wedding anniversary beer. Somehow. Uh, we ended up also with a excess bottle of the original 2010 release. They've since reduced it down to, I think they do it in 500 mil bottles now. Um, it's probably, it, I mean, it changes year on year because I think they change the barrels and the ABV at, at some times. I'm not sure if they do it every year now. Uh, and this is actually a 2011 bottle that I've got here. But yeah, I do have a 2010 bottle, which I found at a bottle shop in Perth, of all places. So we did our Perth trip that I talked to about earlier when we went to Fremantle and went to Sail and Anchor. And we went to a quite a renowned uh, craft beer bottle shop there called Celebrations on Carlisle. And they had a whole lot of crazy extreme beer geek beers there. And there were two bottles of Holgate's Beelzebub's Jewels from the 2010 release with the original red wax seal. And I felt like no one in that shop or who had ever been to that shop had no idea what kind of gold they were sitting on there. I'm pretty sure it was priced at $55. So we bought both um, and we brought them home. We had to go all the way across the country to get beers that were essentially local to us when we were living in Melbourne. Uh, and we brought two bags. So we, I have one more beer, um, one more bottle that I'm sitting on, which we will crack in for our 10th anniversary in three years' time. So that will be a very special... It's probably not going to be the quite the experience, being 10 years old. But it was wax-sealed, so I'm hoping there could be absolutely minimum oxidisation and... Uh, yeah, we'll see well, how it I goes. I think the, uh, the material for uh, the 10th anniversary is actually tin. 
So it would be appropriate so to get some tinnies. And, oh. So I'd get some Holgate Beelzebub's jewels in tins. There you go. There's the challenge, Paul Holgate. If you're listening, please put Beelzebub's jewels with a wax seal. In, in a can with a wax seal. 750 mil cans, wax seal. Looking so forward to that. What is going on here with... Um, we're constantly told beer should be fresh, uh, freshness is king, and then you go on to barrel age. What's, so uh, what's, what's happening here? It's we- hops versus malt, isn't it? Uh, it's because, you know, hops have a short um, shelf life, but anything with uh, malt-driven high alcohol has uh, time to age and develop new flavours and hopefully doesn't get too oxidised. I'm just wondering if this has got a description on the bottle that says you can hold on to it for a while, um, like drink now or will taste good in five years. It doesn't. Uh, so no, but yeah. Look, I think um, I think the the definitely the rule of thumb is drink fresh, and I've certainly learnt that as well with these high alcohol multi beers because I was a bit of a beer seller, a beer hoarder, and I was um, holding on to a lot of barley wines and imperial stouts. And this year, I just decided this is silly. So I've been inviting my brewery you know, colleagues and friends around and we've had an Imperial Stout night and we've had a barley wine night and we've basically cleaned out my cellar of beers of those styles. And look, a lot of the um, the those beers haven't held up. They've, they've ended up oxidised. And look, I haven't treated them the best. They've moved houses with me a couple of times. Um, they've been sitting in dark pantries but not necessarily, you know, in a, in a temperature-controlled environment. Um, but yeah... They they just haven't you know some have aged really well some haven't I had a, a eight wide Boumeyer which is a sixteen percent imperial stout aged in red wine from five six seven years ago um, and that actually said on the bottle that you know will taste great in eight to ten years time still tasted oh good but not as good as it did taste when it was originally released uh so i am big advocate for drink fresh now and i've i've definitely changed my beer hoarding ways probably the only beer that i am now sitting on uh, which i just need to get around to drinking is the good old red hill imperial stout one of the brewers secret stash weekends that i went to at red hill they were selling six packs of vintage release so they they had a 2008 9 10 11 12 13 uh, release bottles in a six pack and i've still got one of those in my beer cellar uh, which is a cupboard in my carport or garage um and yeah i should really get around to drinking those because that 2000 well i'll drink it next year because that 2008 beer will be 10 years old and that's probably too long to sit on beer so people if you're sitting on beer just drink it Drink it, and if you need a reason to drink it, just invite me to come around and <laughs> and drink it, or just create a reason. That's why I created our barley wine night and our imperial stout night with my bre- with the brewers and and the staff here, just so we could uh, make an occasion out of drinking all these beers. Yeah, it's not wine. I've just really flipped yeah. that, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, bright the town. We've talked a lot about bright breweries' importance in a town, but what's the future what's been happening what developments have been happening for bright brewery yeah i took you through a little uh a little insight into what's uh happening here earlier so yeah really really exciting times here uh look when scott started 
uh, Bright Brewery back in 2005, his focus was really on creating a great destination brewery that was really linked with the town and the location and the region and really represented the awesome experience that people have when they come to Bright and enjoy the freshness of the environment around here. Uh, we think we've achieved that. We've ticked everything off on the bo- uh, boxes that we need to do here as a brewery and a venue and a destination. Um, and the next thing now is to underpin that by growing our brand out in the wider market. So we've just built a new big production facility. It's uh, still here and bright, just around the corner, uh, about a kilometre away from the existing brewery. Uh, it's a nice uh, big 35-hec DME system which arrived a couple of weeks ago and is currently being installed by our Brewers and Scott and the, uh, the local tradies. Uh, and with some help from the, uh, the automation guides at DCAM, exciting times. So our intention is really just to initially triple our volumes because pretty much all the beer that we make at the moment we sell right here at our own brewery. Uh, 80-90% of what we brew goes over our own taps, which is fantastic for cash flow um, and fantastic for this region and building our brand within this region. Uh, but we haven't been able to make enough beer because we're only got a very small capacity here on site to to get our beer out to the wider world uh, affordably. So the, the focus of the new production facility uh, will be to brew those beers in, in more volume and get them out, uh, mainly focusing on the cities initially, so north of Victoria and Melbourne, um, and then hopefully pushing some up north as well. And, yeah, just get a little bit of Bright out to the world so people can have their favourite Bright Brewery beers, uh, hopefully anywhere, eventually. But, um, yeah, if you know a bottle shop that you think should be stocking Bright Brewery beer, get in touch because... uh, we'll soon be able to finally make enough beer to supply the wider world. Yeah, because I was thinking if, if, a, if from a, a cold-hearted business point of view, that if Bright Brewery, as you say, is you know, from the region, you've done so well hospitality-wise here, but if you're building a, a facility to brew, you'd build it close to... Because we're quite remote, you'd build it close to the city. Why has that not happened? We wanted to, to be in Bright. We very much about Bright. We still wanted Bright Brewery to be Bright Brewery. Um, and that's one of our core values here is to be authentic and also to be sustainable. And uh, being sustainable means um, also sustaining our local Bright community um, and Bright economy and being authentic to the brand, which is Bright. So if we had built a production facility in Melbourne, it really it wouldn't be Bright Brewery, would it? It would be Melbourne's arm of Bright Brewery. So it's that's, you know, what a lot about gets me going as a beer geek, those true and honest stories about brewers out there who have created something from nothing because it's what they're passionate about. Uh, it represents them as people, and I think... Bright Brewery is a great representation of what the founders are um, and that's why it's going to go forward as continuing being part of Bright. Now the new facility is that is in an old dairy? Is yeah. That right? Can we expect a milk stout or something? <laughs> great idea. We, sh- we, we should make that the first brewer. I'll talk to Rich actually. <laughs> 
Why has no one suggested that yet? So yes, we bought what was essentially a dairy distribution shed. Uh, so the local Bright Dairy um, based all their their milk distribution out of it. Uh, so he retired and, and wanted to offload the site. We bought the site, which is great because it had a couple of massive cool rooms in it, but otherwise it was just a big ugly shed. So we've built an even bigger, nicer looking shed behind that. Uh, the original dairy shed stays with the cool rooms. And yeah, we're putting a big, big brew house, lots of tanks and just lots of space to grow. Um, I think that's the key. You know, we're putting in a 35 hex system and we've got, I can't remember how many tanks, but we've got quite a few tanks, but there will be plenty of space to grow and grow and grow. Because uh, like I said, initially our own aim is simply only to triple our production, which still puts us well and truly below what a lot of Victorian craft breweries at the moment. That there's a lot of breweries around Victoria that are pushing the one million dollars, sorry, one million dollars, one million liters annually in their production. Uh, we're a long way from that. Even if we triple our production, we'll only be half that. So we're still only tiny on comparison to people like you know Bridge Road, Holgate, uh, Two Birds, even Mornington. You know, those guys that are really pumping out and getting their beers nationwide, we're still a long way from that because that we still want to be very much a bright-focused thing. Um, so, yeah, exciting times ahead. But the, the, the most exciting part for me as the beer geek is that our existing brew house stays exactly the same. Our good old 12-heck uh, uh, brew pub system that we've been brewing on for the last 12 years um, and all those fermenters will stay as is and that becomes our brewer's playground that's where we can do a whole lot of interesting beers seasonal beers high-end beers experimental stuff barrel age stuff and we there won't be too many other breweries around there that have a fully functioning uh, production brewery and a 12 heck brew house with a whole lot of fermentation space to do about 100,000 litres a year of weird, fun, experimental small batch beers. Mornington's probably one example, but yeah, it's a very exciting times behind ahead. We're just going to be able to finally go, hey, Rich, brew us this weird idea, like a milk stout with <laughs> something, something in it. With ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> uh, pumpkin or something. Yeah, it's, it's fun times ahead. I'm really looking forward to it. No, it sounds really exciting, and um, you've taken us through five of those beers, so let's get to the sixth choice. Sixth choice. All right. Uh, final sixth choice. I thought long and hard about this, but in the end, I had to decide what was my ultimate beer geek moment that really put me into the stratosphere of uh, of a beer craft beer lover, uh, beer geek, big beer snob, beer wanker, and it was. Another Imperial Stout, which ultimately is my favourite style. It's the Mykela Beer Geek Brunch Weasel Isle Edition, which this bottle is not because it's uh, just the, the regular weasel. Uh, but um, it, through my beer journey, I also became a bit of an Isle Peat um, fan. Uh, you had our Smoko Rauk beer uh, earlier today, which has got four different smoke malts, one of them being uh, peated. Uh, malts and I became a huge beer, uh, smoky beer and whiskey fan. I sort of and we're talking the Isle of Isle, yeah, um, the Isle of Isle, Scotland, exactly, yeah. uh, where all the the famous um, peated Scotch whiskies come from. Um, and I've become a complete uh, peat head in regards to whiskey uh, through the process of of loving Imperial Stouts and and 
getting exposed to uh, smoky flavours through that. So my Keller does a Beer Geek Brunch Imperial Stout. And they did a, we- a Weasel Virgin, a Virgin, oh, <laughs> two beers, James, a Weasel Virgin, which is basically uh, been infused with the coffee that comes out of those freaking civet cats from Indonesia or somewhere. You know, the coffee that's made out of the poo <laughs> from civet cats, uh, some sort of weasel. Uh, so yeah, it's basically a coffee imperial stout, and that's why it's the brunch edition because it's a coffee imperial stout that you have for brunch. Uh, and but he did a version that was barrel aged in Islay um, whiskey barrels, and it was amazing. It I had it as a birthday beer once. I can't remember what year. It was probably about five years ago. Uh, Jen, my wife, got it for me for my birthday. Probably forked out about thirty-five or forty bucks for the bottle. And because uh, it's being a 500 or 600 mil bottle, and I had it for breakfast on my birthday. I seriously got up, you know, at 8:30 or 9. I'm sure I had the day off. I must have had the day off. <laughs> I Let's think, hope so. <laughs> I think she cooked me some bacon and eggs for my birthday, and I drank a bottle of my Keller Beer Geek Brunch Weasel Islay Edition for breakfast, and it was bliss. It was just an amazing moment of these combinations of this coffee and smoky whiskey in an imperial stout fuck me that is my beer that is my ultimate beer so i i had to uh i had to include that because yeah absolutely outstanding i don't even know what the uh the ab so i've just got a bo- an empty bottle here of the just the plain weasel version and it's 10.9 percent. so the isla version might have been a bit uh a bit higher but yeah, ever since then, I've always jumped at any beers, Imperial Stouts that have been Islay barrel aged. Uh, I know Brewdog do a few, especially their Paradox uh, Imperial Stout. And wow, I just love peat, peat flavours. Mm. Mm. And uh, uh, McKellar still making this one? No idea. I've never seen the Islay edition since. I'm pretty sure that they still make the Beer Geek Brunch series i'm not sure if they do the weasel series the the bottle and the design has completely changed these days so it's a very different looking beer um you know mckellar's a a a whiskey (laughs) mckellar's a gypsy brewer from norway Norway, denmark i'm pretty sure this beer was brewed at nergener in norway um so i'm not sure what he's up to these days there was a big big geek groundswell of, he was one of those rock star brewers back in, I don't know, 2013, 12. Mm. Uh, and he came out to Melbourne and, you know, and we all got to meet him and we all be- fanboyed around him and it's like, oh, and we fainted. And it's like, oh, Michaela, you're the best. No, his name's not even Michaela. Michaela, <laughs> that's the combination of the, the two guys. It's it's Michael. Oh, anyway. Were, were you fainting over him because you'd been drinking his thousand in the probably, morning? Probably, probably. <laughs> absolutely. I think that's what it... But yeah, look, that's that's one of my ultimate beer moments of uh, in drinking that beer. Well, before we talk about the uh, receptacle you can drink these beers out of and also your ultimate snack, we'll um, just give a special mention to any beers that didn't quite make it. Yeah. So speaking of the smoky beers, um, I don't know if I can properly pronounce it, but the Schlenker Rauch beer, so classic German... Is it a Merton or is it just a Rauch beer? But those super smoky beers um, really, yeah, I, I really discovered a love 
for smoky beers. So when it's done well, I think I've had a lot of bad smoky beers, but they need to be well balanced. The smoke needs to be layered but not aggressive. Um, and yeah, the the Schlenker beers. I don't even know if that's the correct pronunciation. Do you know? What? I will refrain yes, and right. let you uh, <laughs> dig a hole deeper. No, I actually studied German for four years, yeah. and uh, I have no clue. <laughs> okay, I, I <laughs> so I really yeah. don't know. But I I think though you're exactly right. Is that I've had some smoky beers which are just too pronounced, not balanced, but. It's a great style, and mm. um, and uh, I'm I don't eat meat, so yep. I uh, it's good. like it's a smoked ham. It's yeah. great, like without having the chewing. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm, I've never smoked in in my life, and I've never I never wanted to smoke. Um, but I really enjoy smoky flavors in food and drinks. So mm. yeah, I'm a big fan of smokes. It's all the smoke, yeah, none of the harm. <laughs> I should also mention yeah i do like hoppy beers it took me a while to come around to it and develop a palate for hoppy but yeah i certainly grew a love for hoppy beers and a, a lot of people uh sh- will share the moment they had pliny the elder um or one of the stone enjoy by series uh you know i've been lucky to have beer swapsies with fellow beer geeks from america who brought me fairly fresh bottles of those beers and they certainly showed me that ah yes this is why these kind of beers are so popular and so amazing. Uh, Pliny the Elder, having that, that was quite a transformative experience. Understanding how delicate and refined that was, but how amazingly punchy and flavorful um, and layered it was, was, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't include those in my top six beers because I, I really want beers that I've had from the brewery. I mean, the Markella one's an, an um, exception to that rule. But hopefully next year, uh, my wife and I are planning to get to America finally for the first time and do the West Coast and go check out the breweries and certainly Russian River um, and Stone are right up there to get there and, and really enjoy those fresh beers uh, at the source. So I'm looking forward to having those. Uh, the other one that's on my list that was a mind-blowing beer when it first came out was the Bridge Road Brewers uh, B2 Bomber, uh, which was an anniversary beer they did a couple of years back. It was a strong, dark Belgium. Well, it was like a Belgian black IPA, essentially, when it was first released, and it's been released every year since with one-year gap in there, and it's got bigger and bolder every year. That was a, a real sort of fanboy moment, having that beer. I probably should probably mention a bright brewery beer uh, since I now work here. Um, <laughs> yeah, all of them. Actually, look, I, I will tell a quick story that uh, one of those first Victorian microbrewery showcases I ever went to, um, you know, went through all the beers and went through all the bright brewery beers. And the one that really stood out for me was the Razor Wit beer. And the reason why is because I really don't like wheat beers. And I, from at that time, I had really only had uh, heffy wheat beers. So banana-y and funky flavours. Uh, and it was the first time I had a wit beer, a Belgian wit beer, which was more about your spice, your coriander, or your orange peel sort of flavours, that sort of zesty zing to it rather than the, the funky banana. So that Belgium um, wit beer, which is razor wit beer, really stood out for me. Uh, and just something that sticks in my mind is when I first met Scott, who I'd, you know, seven, eight years later would end up working for. It's like, yeah, I told him, hey, I really like that beer because it's different to what I normally know as being wheat beers. And wheat you, beers. You mentioned the one of the Bridge Road beers there. 
you, there's a quite a few as a almost a collective of uh, Alpine region or uh, you know are, there, are you in competition with each other here or are you are you friends are you we are, are, are is, do high tide rise all yeah, ships or? yeah yeah absolutely the rising tide floats all ships as uh, I don't know if it's a prof or Matt Kierkegaard I'd love to say but yeah look uh, eight breweries in the high country and we all part of a collective called the High Country Brewery Trail and we are all very much collaborative and working together we're not in competition because we're all completely different breweries with very different markets very different um, I guess missions and and we're all unique and yeah we work together as the high country brewery trail because we know that if people go to Beechworth and go to the brewery enjoy that experience there and they pick up a high country brewery trail and see that there's other breweries to go to they'll come and do those other breweries so it's really about us sharing the market we don't actually compete because we are we're sharing and we're we're only we're only helping grow more market by giving more people more reason to explore the high country and the breweries here so it's been one of the really awesome things it's pretty much the same for the whole craft beer industry was that we're very friendly and collaborative and that's one of the things that really wanted made me want to join uh the industry i i started off working in communications and government and I became a beer fan. I had a beer blog. I was a lot a of people geek. who work in government probably do become yeah. beer fans quite quickly. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. And, you know, I knew that that time was coming to an end and I wanted to work within the craft beer industry. But there's no, there's no space for marketing or communications in the craft beer industry because normally that's done by the owners or the operators. And there's very few breweries out there that have a marketing function um, mostly if you want to work in marketing in beer, you have to work at the big end of beer. You have to work in the multinationals that have big marketing departments. I was just very, very lucky that uh, an opportunity came up with a brewery that had a, a marketing mind as part of it and therefore it was always part of their sort of organisational makeup to have it um, and there was a vacancy there to be filled and, and I jumped on that opportunity and, and thanks to you know the relationships I had within the beer industry, I... Uh, ended up here at Bright Brewery to have a bit of a dream jo- job uh, to to share my passion of communication and, and craft beer at the same time. So very, very good times. But yeah, in the end, collaborative industry and uh, good friends at all, all the local breweries. Come and, come and do the High Country Brewery Trail. Yeah, I'll put a link to the High Country Brewery Trail on the, on the show notes as well. But uh, was, is there anything that would get you back into the city, into the big smoke? Look, I'm never going to say no to anything. Uh, I absolutely. I look. I would love to do my own thing one day. I just don't know what that is. So, it's uh, if anyone's got any ideas what my own thing is, please let me know. Um, we'll put that so, in the show notes. Yeah. No. I, look, it's 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 hard not to be happy here. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great life here in Bright. Uh, it is a lifestyle job uh, where I am very much connected with what the brand is. But um, if the right opportunity came along uh, that, that ticked all the buttons for me, I'm, I'm never going to say no to anything because I think life is about exploring those opportunities. And, you know, don't ever tie yourself down to the one thing unless that one thing is your decision to, to do so. So each to their own. And uh, if the city just calms the fuck down a bit, um, I'll be fine because I, sometimes I go there and it's just too much time spent sitting in a car in traffic. Yeah, I don't think that. I think that's going to get worse. The, the better. The greatest thing about Bright here is the closest traffic light is an hour away in Wangaratta. 
<laughs> so when I go back to Melbourne and I face where the traffic like I don't I don't know what the fuck to do. It, it comes to something when you're in the in the bar and people are complaining about that one traffic light in Wangaratta. <laughs> oh, seriously, people complain living in here. People complain about not being able to cross the road in summer because they have to wait a minute for the traffic. <laughs> so, um, beer snack. Beer snack. Okay, uh, there's two. There's the bad beer and snack, and there's the good beer snack. The, the the bad beer snack is just chips. I just love hot chips, uh, fried chips. I think they go with anything. Uh, I think we do some pretty good chips here. We we do either um, some malt-dusted chips, so we uh, ground up our malt, and the kitchen turns it into a salt, and they make a malt dust uh, for our chips. And, yeah, I, I it's just good beer snacking food and we do um uh sweet potato chips as well but the the really good one so that's the bad one that's made me fat after living here for three years (laughs) i used to run marathons and now i can't because i love chips uh (laughs) the 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 really good one for me is just a good cheese and meat plate um my wife and i are big cheese fans and we really love artisan cheese and and really funky flavored cheese uh Beelzebub's Jewels, a big barley wine with an amazingly stinky blue cheese is just bliss for me. Really love it. We have some great local cheese makers in this region. A lot of people will know Millowa Cheese um, based in the King Valley. Um, they're, they're everywhere. Uh, but we've got some great uh, smaller producers. There's Toll Puddle uh, up near Wangaratta who do goat's cheese. There's Boozy Creek uh, up near Yarrawongad who do some amazing wash rind cheeses. Uh, and Jen and I are huge fans of Bruni Island cheese down in Tasmania. We're part of their cheese club, and we order their boxes of uh, of cheeses that uh, come out every every couple of months. And just yeah, p- create a plate uh, of you know cheese and various spreads and things like pickles and olives um, and great meats, smoked meats, um, you know, uh, aged meats. Uh, with yeah, just just a spread and some crackers and good sourdough bread, and you can pair it with almost any beer. There's a, it's a great beer to go with any sort of good cheese and and uh, meat plates. So yeah, that's it. Classic cheese and meat sounds great and very local as well. And uh, yeah, it's a big celebration of what Australia has got to offer, and particularly Victoria, Tasmania. So um, what are you drinking these beers out of? Yeah, okay, so I'm also a beer glass nerd, geek, and I have a fucking disgracefully large beer glass collection, which is terrible every time you have to move house, because there is a lot. Uh, A lot of the time, 99% of that collection has been acquired through op shops, uh, buying beer glasses for, you know, 50 cents, 20 cents, a dollar, and seeing beer glasses in op shops going, how do people not appreciate the awesomeness of this beer glass? I can't tell you how many Spiegelau IPA glasses I've picked up for 50 cents at an uh, op shop. They might have appreciated them, they just died. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And their relatives didn't know what they were handing on. So my wife is really good at at sourcing those glasses for me. Um, I do have all the Spiegelau range. I love the glasses, uh, especially uh, the the, the tulip glass. Um, And, you know, I I love a different beer glass for every beer. I love a brand. I love branded. You know, I'm in marketing. Marketing's my job. I love branded shit. I've got a whole lot of shitty beer glasses from all your CUB range, right back to Matilda Bay glasses that have like Fremantle bitter from the 1980s, all that sort of stuff. So a massive beer glass collection. 
but and probably 80-90% of the time I'm drinking at home, I'm drinking from what I call the mountain glass, mountain goat glass, which I actually have here to show oh, you because I knew this was going to happen. Um, the reason I call it the mountain goat glass is because it's what we got familiar with drinking out of when we went to the mountain goat brewery in Richmond in Melbourne. It's essentially a stemmed tulip glass. It's just a bit thinner and taller than your sort of bulby uh, tulips. So it's just... Uh, I don't know if they still use it at the Mountain Goat Brewery, but if yeah, if you were going to Mountain Goat between about 2009 to 2012, uh, this was certainly the tulip they used. The reason I know if this is the glass they used is because we got them from the op shop that was around the corner from Mountain Goat Brewery uh, back in their days because I think a lot of people swiped them from the brewery and then uh, just dumped them at the local op shop and then we ended up paying 50 cents uh, from them. So, yeah. We, w- we won't mention the op shop for uh, no, the uh, No, there's a few of them in, in Richmond, yeah. So, yeah, it's just a nice, fits well in the hand, uh, light tulip. Um, good for swirling. It's good and sturdy without being too thick or heavy, and it's just lasted me forever. So, it's my functional beer glass that anything can go in. Uh, but certainly when I have a special beer, I always crack out the, uh, the Spiegel tulip or, or something nice brandy balloon style uh, to really stick your nose in and be a wanker about. Yeah, but day to day, that the bottom yeah. of it is very industrious. Yes. and But it's not thick glass at the top, which is perfect combination. That's in terms it. of, you know, I'm sure there'll be listeners to the show who've had a Spiegel glass crumble in their hands in the in the in the sink and funny uh, enough i've never broken a speed glass i don't know what all these people are going on about breaking <laughs> speed glass come the fuck down people just be gentle with your glasses glasses are precious <laughs> but we jen and i did spend a lot of time we we lived in hawthorne and in q for a while so mountain goat was our local brewery and we did spend a lot of time at uh mountain goat drinking there we were huge fans of hightail owl uh it should have made my top six beers, but it's just one of those breweries that I have all affection of. But, you know, I, I just don't feel as strongly about advocating from them these days because they're, they're owned by a big multinational company. They don't need my help in being a beer geek about that brewery. They don't need my help in sharing their love because they've got all the resources they need to do that. I think it's absolutely fantastic what they've done. I, I love Mountain Goat. Um, I reckon their story is fantastic. Cam and Dave absolutely deserved uh, the, the sale. They got Actually, I have no idea what they got out of the sale, but they ex- absolutely deserved um, being able to, to transition that brand into uh, something that, you know, that could go out of their hands and and um, and look, it wasn't just them. They had a big shareholder stake across uh, a number of people. So that was a, a very well-earned, fantastic brewery story in the Australian beer scene. Huge fan of uh, Mountain Goat Hightail. Haven't drunk it for a couple of years now, but we really, really enjoy going to that brewery and uh, sitting back and drinking that beer. I think I read an interview at the 10th, birthday party went to the mountain goats would have been 10th. 20th uh oh. no no like oh uh, back in the back day in, i think yeah. it might be in 10th or it might maybe 15th birthday party yep um when dave and cam still owned it and um i think i was there yeah well, my <laughs> probably cross paths I, I didn't have headphones on so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it was it was interesting because uh the interview said uh don't get into beer if you want to make money 
Yeah, And absolutely. then a few years later, you know, and clearly they've been through a lot of hardship yeah. and a lot of probably weeks where they're going, why are we doing this? Yeah. This is no fun. And I think you'll find that's a very common tale. There's more than selling beer in running a business. And uh, certainly being on the back end of that, you do understand that uh, there's a lot more that goes in. And look, just think about the places that people have to rent, um, you know, staffing costs and, and all that. In, in the end, you know, we're fortunate here at Bright Brewery that we own uh, this venue and this in this site. So that helps a bit. But there are so many other costs that go into just running a business other than making a beer and the, the way Cam and David did did it from scratch in the heart of Melbourne where it would be quite expensive to operate um, absolutely I can understand their uh, their desire to be able to uh, lift that burden um, to be able to progress Mountain Goat to, to a bigger brand to to where it needs to go to grow and I think that's been great about Mountain Goat certainly since they've sold they have grown um, they have improved and, you know, it's it's all been on the up and up there. I don't think they've lost anything. I think they'll be exactly the same for Feral. Um, I'm not a huge fan of what Coke, well, Coca-Cola Amatel has done with Yender. I think Yender is, is bullshit because they've tried to pass it off as something that it's not. It's, apparently it's three guys in a shed in Yender and I think that's really quite offensive to what they've done but I'm really glad to see that they've taken on Feral and because I think Feral will improve and grow uh, through that resources. And most of all, Brendan has a huge weight lifted off his shoulders of you know the debt and expense that goes on to trying to make this business profitable uh, while working on really low margins and you know not having a future for himself, not having a retirement plan, not having you know any sort of future. But to be able to now see see that, you know, put in 20 years. I don't think I will have any grudge against anyone who's put in 20 years like Mountain Goat and Feral had. Um, it's the people who start a business to sell, you know, so they put in, you know, four or five, you know, under 10 years um, of effort just with the intention to build something to offload. That I have a little bit of a problem with, but that's a personal philosophy thing. Uh, in the end, I think the people who have sold recently have put in massive yards. They absolutely deserve it. Um, I don't think they need our advocacy anymore because you know their their owners have big marketing part departments who can do that for them. So all good to them. Um, I'll certainly still pick up their beers now and then when I can get them and nothing else. <laughs> but in the end, let's uh, let's talk about the new kids on the block who are who are still independently family owned and are trying to do something because it's their passion. Yeah, it almost feels like uh, you know letting the ch- when the children grow up and they they leave home and it's kind of sad, but also it's like. Maybe we should have... No, actually, yeah. we shouldn't have more <laughs> children. We definitely like, shouldn't have any more oh, children. It's about time. No. Now we can relax and start saving a bit of money for ourselves <laughs> yeah. so we can actually fucking retire. Yeah, exactly. We can so. go to Europe and we can go and, you know, enjoy our lives. You know, children, it's a sad day, but, you know, uh, new breweries come along and there's a lot of local brewery support Absolutely. and independent breweries to support. So, um, no... Um, it's a good time, and that's just that's just the the stage we're at. We all knew, well, I I certainly felt like I knew that consolidation needs to happen. There is, you know, a massive number of breweries in a very small market at the moment. So yes, for them, those bigger breweries and more established breweries to continue to grow um, and provide their owners with some benefit, 
they're going to have to sell. They're going to have to consolidate. That's going to have to happen. Uh, there's going to be the breweries that will buck the trend and won't do that, and that would be great. Uh, but in the end, if you're getting into the market these days, wow, you're going to have to be really, really passionate you're going to have to really understand what you're doing on the business side um, and you're going to have to make really good beer because uh, anyone who else just brews up another generic brand with a generic pale ale is not going to last long at all. No, and I think that's definitely true of uh, the brands likes of Two Birds who started off with a sunset ale, not yeah. a pale ale. I think they Great only example. this year brought yep. a pale ale out. Yep. That is a, a point of difference that yeah. I think a lot of Australian um, newcomers into the scene, they always get gravitate towards the what's yeah. traditionally. A great example, too, Birds, of, um, of people who just really wanted to do their own thing and just really had a passion and drive and a business sense to work out how to make it work. You know, a lot of people gave them, gave uh, Jane and Danny a bit of shit about being a contract brand initially, but I think they had quite a, a, a good, clear picture of how to make a craft beer business work within that marketplace at the moment, which was they needed to sta- establish a brand with something unique and different. Um, and once that had built them what they needed, then they can then build the brewery um, and brew it all themselves. And, you know, some people might choose to do it the other way around, but I think they knew what they were doing and, and just passion has driven them all the way and really looking forward to where they go from here. There's many roads to Rome, so uh, you've got to uh, do what you can. But, James, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And Great probably, the, no disrespect to any previous guests on the show, but this is probably the nicest spot of Saturn recorded a podcast with trees and the river running in the background and, uh, you know, blue skies and just very mountains around us. And yeah, it is an absolutely beautiful night. I think I might kick back, have another beer, and grab some food. I think so. Let's, uh, well, thanks very much, James. Pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, I'll put all those details in the uh, in the show notes about your your dying, pod- your sadly dying podcast, but also about um, Bright Brewery as well. And uh, p- can people find you online? And- yeah, look, uh, professionally everywhere, you'll uh, find Bright Brewery at Bright Brewery. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. Google, LinkedIn, whatever. We're a bright brewery everywhere, and it's all me because I am the marketing department here. And uh, if you want to find me personally and unprofessionally, uh, Bright Beer James all over the place. So especially uh, Instagram and Twitter tends to be where I hang out. So uh, yeah, find and at Bright Beer James. If I'm coming to the Bright Brewery over summer, what beer should I drink? <laughs> all of them. All I, of them. I'm, I'm such a beer geek that I don't have a favourite beer. I like them all. Uh, seriously, Blowhard Pale Ale. I think uh, we've got quite a different Pale Ale to a lot of the Pale Ales that are in the market at the moment. Uh, it's yeah, Look, it, it's a lot of galaxy, but it's got that nice balance of citrus, and it's really quite a gutsy, full flavour. It's like pushing the IPA uh, flavour, but only at 5%, so highly drinkable, uh, really thirst-questioning. And if you really, really love hops, we've just turned our MIA IPA, which was a 7% American IPA, into a double IPA. So it's now 8.9%. And so easy drinking, although hot, which is great, because you've got that alcoholic hit to it. Uh, but it is 
beautifully uh, beautifully balanced when it comes to the hot malt balance. I, I had it. it the other day. Mm. Uh, Too easy back, to drink, isn't I think it? I, I left the house with some spinach or something. <laughs> 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 and I had time for one pot and that was it. And it was, yeah, it was sensational. I really, really Come enjoyed it. MIA yeah. double IPA. MIA, that's it. Well, that seems a great note to, to leave it on, James. Cheers, Ian. Let's, uh, let's go get more beers at Bright Brewery. So that was it, James Davidson, marketing manager at Bright Brewery. That was an epic episode, so much fun to talk to James. Really interesting as well to hear about that high country trail that they're starting to get a network together up there with some absolute kind of superstar breweries like Bridge Road and quite a few relative newcomers to the scene as well. I tried quite a few of the beers up there and... I was really impressed. It kind of helps as well trying to be as in the place where they were made. And that is a beautiful, beautiful place. So that did help a lot. And it also helped that I was on a relaxing holiday as well, um, which all added to it. So if you're up in the high country, make sure you drop into a few of the breweries there. Just check the opening times and things because they're not open all the time. But you can often get uh, something to eat and have a beer or two in a beautiful setting. There is also the hop farms up there as well, which are quite a sight to see. And I was reading that the hops, like the vines, not the vines, but the vines grow at something like 15 to 20 centimetres a day when it, when they when they get going, which is extraordinary. I think you could actually sit and watch them move at that rate. So quite wonderful to find out about those things while I was in perfect hop growing conditions thanks very much for listening everybody it's much appreciated love to chat to you on social media through Instagram at the chosen brew Twitter and Facebook all of those things or you can send me an email at the chosen brew au at gmail.com or you can send me a message via the website which is the chosen brew au It's been lots and lots of fun again, listeners, so thanks very much for tuning in, and I'll speak to you soon.